Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This one's been a long time coming. Uh, we reviewed the first four issues of Clear uh, as they came out digitally from Best Jacket Press, Scott Snyder's imprint at uh, at Comicsology. We we kind of reviewed those in a timely fashion, and then we sort of fell off, got busy doing other stuff and uh, Spawn Daily and all that, and we we kind of neglected. Well, the, the second wave of Best Jacket books are coming out, and this time they're all three. Uh, Best Jacket titles are all coming out on the same day, Tuesday before Comic-Con, which is July 19th. So Rocky and I are like, oh, hold on. Before we review those, which we will be reviewing those, you'll have um, spoiler episodes. So just be aware. Those will drop on Tuesday, same day the books are on Comixology. So just be aware for those three. That's uh, Dudley Dotson, uh, Canary, uh, and uh, and Barnstormers. So that those are coming on Tuesday. Again, there will be spoilers. But before that, I'll drop Second Wave. Before I get a chance to see Scott at Comic-Con and talk about all that great stuff, we wanted to go back and finish up the two series that we didn't. Because we did finish our reviews for We Have Demons, which was amazing. But we never finished up Night of the Ghoul, uh, issues five and six. We never finished up talking about Clear five and six. So we thought, now's the time. So we're going to release those. We are going to have spoilers, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, I read these when they first came out, and then I reread them all. So in a way, it was kind of a blessing. Reread them all uh, in preparation for doing this uh, this review, and I, I got to say, like reading all six issues of both series at once, I got a lot. I got even. Like, I loved them going through them the first time as they were coming out monthly uh, digital releases, uh, but I got even more out of it going back and reading in one sitting. And the other thing I'll say is, we have demons has come out physically. Clear and Night of the Ghoul haven't, but they're going to be coming out from Dark Horse in print very, very soon. So, uh, yeah, Rocky, what I mean, I think you went back and looked at them, uh, you know, in their entirety again as well. What uh, did you enjoy it more or less the same? Oh, I enjoyed it. You and I both, uh, both Clear and both Night of the Ghoul. Uh, I mean, very, very different comic books. And I'll, well, well, I guess we'll start with Night of the Ghoul. It's, 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 it's. I mean, it's a horror, and of course, horrors are so, something that it's uh, horror comics are sort of on the rise. I think in popularity, or at least they've had a little bit of, more of a resurgence in the last probably three or four years, which is a good thing to see. And Scott Snyder, uh, as you and I were talking about earlier, uh, prior to the uh, the broadcast here, you, you know, Scott. Snyder is just we're enjoying his work more than his work at, at the big two I mean it's just he really is coming into I mean is this is you can tell his He's passionate about what he's doing here, and it's reflected in the stories. And he was a good storyteller to begin with, of course, with the big two. Uh, however, he's dealing with established characters where, where people, like even myself, admittedly, and yourself, we bring preconceptions to Batman. So, uh, uh, for example, or to Death Metal. But here, with Night of the Ghoul and Clear, as these examples we'll be reviewing, these are all his babies. Uh, every bit of character development is his own, and it's. And it's, you know, Night of the Ghoul in particular here, I, th this horror has, uh, this ghoul character he created, which is the embodiment and the, the initiator and origin of all the horrors, all the, the Dracula and the Frank Frankenstein, the original horror monster, the ghoul, this Night of the Ghoul, uh, focusing on a director who made a horror movie and then many, and is, is in this uh, nursing home for all these years and a, a new up and coming film, film maker uh, wants a biography on, on this Night of the Ghoul movie and he, he locates this director merit and he's, he's trying 
Kane. He he's he wants to interview him to find out more because he only saw half of the movie of Night of the Ghoul and he wants to see more of it. And somehow this detect this director, former director Merritt, of course, is possessed by the ghoul and or at least believes that he's going to be killed by the ghoul and and the nursing home is eerie and haunted and it's and we viewed up to issue four and uh the character work of this uh of the father and his son orson and uh he's he's having problems with his wife <laughs> and mixed in with that he, he he wants to impress this director merit all this stuff and and the incredible art by uh frank avilla another thing snyder is working with a-list artists here uh not you know uh frank avilla on here and uh uh, clear Manipal, Francis Manipal on uh, on clear and uh, uh, Francesco Francavilla here, one of my favorite artists in Night of the Ghoul. So, uh, f- you know, again, I'm 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 looking forward to getting into the weeds in this with you. Well, so uh, what do you think? Yeah, so let's um, so just a quick recap as right, like Rocky said, we did talk in detail about issues one through four. You can go back uh, in in the channel. If you're listening to this on the, the audio only, you can go back in the in the uh, in the thread in the podcast feed and find uh, reviews for one through four. You can watch, watch them on Rocky's channel. Um, but this is going to be for five and, and six. So just to give a quick recap, I know it's been a while. Uh, yeah, as Rocky said, there's this director Merritt. Supposedly he created the greatest horror movie of all time. And right as they were finishing uh, up filming it in the studio, because it was you know way back in the day where you know films weren't ever filmed on location, everything was done in a studio. <laughs> A fire broke out. Many people were killed. Uh, supposedly all the the film, the actual celluloid from the movie was burned up and lost. And nobody knows actually what happened. It was rumored to be, have been the greatest horror movie of all time. And thus, when this series starts, uh, Forrest, he's a wannabe director, a uh, wannabe filmmaker, feels like a failure a little bit. It doesn't feel like he's worthy in the eyes of his son. He's estranged from his wife. Uh, and, ev- you know, everything to do f- uh, with this self-doubt and this this lack of self-confidence that this guy has. Um, and so he's been working for this the same studio, Panama Studios, same studio that created this movie uh, in a building that where that fire took place. And his job is to archive, to digitize old celluloid film. So they're moving it from the actual film strip onto digital to preserve it. And he comes across uh, these remnants of, of Night of the Ghoul. And it sends him down this rabbit hole of searching for the director. He's supposedly gone into hiding. He was uh, injured in the fire. He was all burned up. And so as the series starts, they, they track him down in this nursing home under an assumed name. And Forrest takes his son Orson along to try to impress him. Hey, look, I'm doing something with my life. I'm going to make something. I'm going to finish this film. He wants to talk to this director who is really a hero of his. And so he he, bri- he, uh, he doesn't bribe his way, but he, he – misrepresents himself as an insurance person and goes in this guy's the director is about to enter hospice care end of life care and so he pretends he's insurance he goes in there he gets to talking to him um and it's just a really moody story and it's constantly shifting are these people in the nursing home actually uh they are they actually members of the order of the fly which is this ancient order that worships the ghoul um you know and are they basically holding merit because he's the only one that knows the truth about the ghoul, that the ghoul basically hides itself in human bodies and comes out to purge humanity from time to time. They believe humanity needs a purging. Um, and so he tries to get the truth out of merit, tries to get um, him to tell him where the rest of the films are. Orson's not really having it. He's kind of acting out. He, 
he's not happy with his father because unbeknownst to Forrest, uh, his, his estranged wife is dealing with Parkinson's disease. And, you know, Orson's not happy that his parents are split up, not happy that his dad is always, you know, he, his dad's a, very much a dreamer. He's not grounded in reality. He's not taking care of his business. And even Orson, at, you know, 12, 13 years old can, can realize that. And he loves his mom and he sees his mom suffering. So there's some friction there between father and son. Orson doesn't even really want to be there. Orson's or, or Forrest rather is thinking, Hey, this is going to be a great thing. Father and son, we're going to bond. And so throughout the conversation that uh, Forrest has with Merritt, different things come out uh, about, what the ghoul actually is. Merritt's telling him it's actually real. Forrest is thinking this is just the delusions of an old senile old man. And Orson is wandering around, calls his mom, wants her to pick him up, tries to get a cab to come out. The cab's like, we don't even see this place on GPS. Here's some sounds, goes down in the basement, sees a bunch of dead kids there, runs up to his father, tells him something sinister is going on. The uh, head of the nursing home comes in, basically says, I know you're relying about who you are, Forrest. You need to get out of here. When Forrest says, I'll call the cops, there's dead kids. He says, yeah, we bury all the people who are unclaimed, all the poor and indigent, and we give them respect and burial, and I'll, I'll be happy to call the police myself. So at the end of issue four, um, they, they've in issue four, Forrest and Orson have left. Orson tells Forrest about the mother's illness uh, and through that, that, that really kind of shocks Forrest. And he's like, I really need to make something of myself so he can reconcile with his wife and, and provide. So he decides that he needs to run back inside. This is his only chance, despite the fact that he was thrown out. He's going to sneak back in and try to find out where the last bit of the film is because Merritt had told him that, hey, you know, you didn't see the end of the film. Uh, you should see the end of it. We need to get this out there so people can see it. Um, it still exists. It wasn't destroyed. And so he goes back in, he sees uh, Merritt being beaten and believes that, you know, again, these, these members of the staff are, are evil. And so as issue five picks up, we see that Merritt actually retrieves, or I'm sorry, Forrest actually retrieves the ending of the film that was in the director of the uh, nursing home. It was in his safe. And there's some files about the ghoul as well. So he goes and he grabs those and then is attacked by some members of the nursing home, manages to uh, to break free with some warnings from Merritt, who is there. And uh, Forrest's plan is to, to escape with both the ending of the film and the files that the director has and Merritt himself. Um, and so as that's happening, he hears his son yelling out for him. Now, he had left him in the car when he ran back inside to thinking this is my last chance. And Orson followed him to try to get him to come back fell into this open grave and then found his, couldn't climb up, but did find a, an opening at the bottom of the grave, climbed in. It led to the sub basement. And that's where they see all these members of the, uh, of the staff of the nursing home. And they're all speaking this really strange language. And there's all these spores floating around in the air and these strange pink vegetation that's growing. And Orson manages to free him despite uh, these members of the order of the fly trying to stop them. Uh, they do manage to escape, but as they do, the security guard outside shoots the nurse that was helping them and supposedly shoots Merritt as well. Right at that moment, the, uh, the wife shows up, Gina, and basically runs over the guard, grabs Orson, like Forrest throws Orson in the car, says, take him to the police station, or uh, I got to take this uh, nurse and Mr. Merritt to the hospital. They need help, but get out of here. 
and 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 they and they drive off in separate directions. And so uh, that's the end of issue five, kind of leaving on on a cliffhanger. Now issue six starts with Merritt saying, "Hey, don't take me to the hospital. I'm dying. There's nothing that can stop that. We need to go back to Panama Studios where this all started, and you need to see the end of the film." So uh, Forrest agrees. He takes him there, and what happens is as he shows him the end of the film you actually see the fire break out and you see um, all the, the actors as well as Merritt himself trapped and about to be burned alive by the fire. Meanwhile, uh, Orson ha- has the files that were in the safe and his mom drives him to the police station. She's going to go inside and get some help. And Orson is going through the files and he comes across something that's very, very surprising and drives off in the car. A 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy drives off in his mom's car while she's inside uh, trying to get the, the cops. So while watching the end of this film, what we see is we see Merritt being burned trying to open uh, the door so that everybody can escape. And then members of the Order of the Fly show up. Merritt himself tries to run back in the fire and commit suicide. But instead, these Orders of the Fly subdue him restrain him and actually put the ghoul inside Merritt. So all this time, it's a big twist. All this time, you've been thinking that Merritt was the one that was trapped and the ghoul was actually living inside the director of the nursing home, director skin. Uh, But no, it turns out Merritt had been fooling Forrest all along and the ghoul was actually inside him. And that's what Orson learned when he was reading the files. He learned that the people at the nursing home were actually the antithesis of the Order of the Fly. They were members of the the uh, Legion of the Scarab, and they had kept Merritt alive all this time while in that sub-basement where all that crazy vegetation and spores were growing. All those, uh, th- those plants that they were growing, these sort of magical plants, they were waiting until they were potent enough till they had fully ripened, basically, so they could make a potion out of them that they could then force the ghoul out of Merritt, and the ghoul is most... Uh, vulnerable when it first leaves a body of the host. So they were keeping Merritt alive, keeping the ghoul alive um, until the potion was ready. So it turns out the people that Forrest and Orson thought were the bad guys all along weren't. Uh, So they all show up. These members of the Legion of Scarabs show up just as the ghoul exits Merritt because he's dying from being shot and, you know, just being old. Uh, And the ghouls are trying to enter Forrest and these guys show up. But unfortunately, they get there a little too late and the ghoul recovers and he uses this incredible power that he has and basically kills them all. Um, And that's right as Orson shows up. So Forrest says, get out of here, stay back. Um, You know, he doesn't want his son to, you know, suffer the the fate. I mean, it's very much a father and son story because when you think back to the first person that we saw get infected um, and then his son was Alex and Alex is Merritt basically. It's his name's Alex in the movie, but it is it is Merritt, uh, and so we see that Forrest uh, stays in. He he locks Orson out of the viewing room and goes and grabs the syringe full of the potion, and he's going after the ghoul trying to stop him. And then, of course, like all you know, very very tropey, a little bit, uh, very sort of cliched in a way. Uh, we see. Forrest then rescued. There was another fire, of course, uh, history repeating itself. And then later we see that Forrest is being taken away in an ambulance and Orson is there. Hey, dad, are you okay? What happened to the ghoul? 
and Forrest says, oh, I killed it and, you know, come to the hospital, everything will be fine. But then we see as they're taking uh, Forrest away to the hospital, we see the little eyes, his mouth's open, and we see the little eyes of the ghoul back in his throat. So we know that he didn't actually kill the ghoul. Um, he actually, uh, the ghoul actually did infect him. And the other thing that you see is as these members of the hospital staff or, or paramedics are uh, putting the oxygen and treating him, they have tattoos on their wrists that are ghoul tattoos. So we know their, their order of the fly as well. And then there is an epilogue uh, where we see somebody go into the ashes of the, the burnt fire and pick up that, um, the tin, the, the round tin that holds the, the film that Forrest had found. And this person, whoever it is, is a member of the Legion of the Scarab because we see the little scarabs and whatnot kind of falling off their sleeve as they, they pick it up. So, uh, yeah, nice twist. You, you a little bit could see it coming. Merritt never seemed like the good guy to me. But, you know, director skin, skin, however you say it, didn't exactly come across as a, an angel either. So, um, yeah, it was just it was a very moody story. And I think the Frank Avia art really uh, contributed to that. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But uh, I wanted to give Rocky a chance to uh, to talk about these last two issues. Any, any moments or anything you wants to call out in detail? Uh, yeah, well, in particular, what what, what I really enjoyed uh, having, uh, I appreciate the fact that we maybe skipped is- reviewing issue five and uh, having reread issue five and along with issue six, I, I got a, a more uh, a better appreciation of the earlier issues because now when you go back and if you go back, especially if you read issues uh, two through six, suddenly the motivations of the staff of the hospital. You see it in a completely different light because you see them at first when when they mysteriously appear that you, th- you think for sure they're the bad guy. They're, they're, they're the shadows in the background. They're, they're ominous. They're eerie, creepy looking. But knowing now what you what we, you discover at the end is, yes, they are. Uh, however, they're creepy in their own way, but they're the Legion of the Scarab and it's that hospital is in effect a cage to keep Scarrett there who has the ghoul within him so that when he dies, they're, they're going to be ready for him. And so that's part of their, uh, their setup. That's the sacrifice they made throughout this entire series. The the backdrop, a lot of the flashbacks that we're getting are this film of, uh, of, uh, of the, of the army, of the army crew of, of Johnny, um, Johnny, uh, uh, of Eagle Company was it Hallberg? Uh, I think it's jo- Johnny Hallberg. I think his name was. But anyways, the descendants of uh, the Johnny Hallberg uh, of Eagle Company. It's it's he, he's actually Dockeen, and he's and he's Johnny's uh, Johnny's grandson as the Legion as the leader of the Legion of the Scarab, and so it all it all kind of comes full circle and that's what I really like about it. And everything just sort of comes into play really, really well. And it's, um, like I say, it's, uh, it's impressive. This needs to be a, this, I can easily see this being a movie, a horror movie. This has misdirection. This has stuff that I think, I think you'd be able to easily fool an audience here. I think when you said that uh, you can maybe see it coming, well, I mean, Scarrett, I'm, well, um, or Mr. Director Merritt, it w- was creepy, but 
I always kind of got the sense that he was he was insane because he was going insane because he imagined seeing the ghoul and the ghoul was tormenting him. I never really saw Merritt as being, you know, you know, completely, you know, I never So Basically, what I'm saying is I was fooled. I was fooled. And, and so it, it, it caught me by surprise. Uh, you're on mute, Jason. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I was I was fooled as well. When I when I say you could kind of see it coming, I, I I meant more that Forrest was infected at the end. You kind of can see that yeah. that coming that the ghoul, of course, was going to survive. Um, but on, on Mary, he just he's not. Even though he you're you're supposed to in the beginning feel sorry for him, he never is a very sympathetic character, just because of the he's such an abrasive character, which is an interesting choice that that Snyder and and Frank Avia made, but. Uh, you know, obviously the, the person, but very similar to, to Kurt, you know, which is Alex's father who was originally uh, infected with the ghoul and, you know, member of Eagle Company. And, the, you know, again, that's how and I, I love that. I loved that part of it, how the the members of the, the current members of the Legion of Scarab, who all unfortunately meet their demise in issue six, were the descendants of of Eagle Company. I loved that that uh sort of continuity of, of story. Uh, yeah. But Kurt, he's he's a sympathetic character when we first meet him, you know, and obviously this is, we're seeing the film. So it's, you know, sort of reenactment of these uh, events over in World War One. But he, you know, he's a very likable character when you first meet him until he gets infected with the ghoul. And then he becomes so sort of very cold and not, uh, you know, not, not a very nice character i guess you'll say and so mary i mean in a way you should have we should have almost thought about it but the difference with kurt was he was very whenever we saw him after he was he was infected with the ghoul he was a very quiet character he didn't talk a lot whereas Merritt, he, he he doesn't shut up he's gabbing away uh even though again like i said he's very yeah, he was very abrasive so yeah i i didn't necessarily see that coming but yeah when i said that you could see it coming it definitely like all horror movies you know they got to throw something in at the end to let you know Oh, this might not actually be the end. The the well, evil or the entity or the creature or the monster or whatever has yeah. survived. My my favorite uh, one of my favorite early clues that I, I completely missed. I never saw it, but early clues of showing those uh, sort of like green beetles, and that all those uh, in the earlier issues with those beetles, uh, as his mother describes to uh, young Orson, it's those beetles are good luck charms given to patients at the hospital, and so actually that was actually a sign that there was a sign of. Another word for beetle is scarab, and uh, <laughs> and so legion of the scarab. So every time they were appear that way, you'd know they're they're the good guys. But you don't know that. But I'm actually I want to go back and reread this now. Now knowing how it ends, I'm, I want to go back and sort of relook for look for those clues and those Easter eggs. And so that's what I really like about this story. And it's not often that you get comic books like that where you want to go back and reread it because oh my god, because uh, you, I almost see it through a, a new set of eyes reviewing this reading the same the same comic so it's not just that there's misdirection that fooled me but i can actually go back and read it and actually maybe experience the story through the eyes of the legion of the scarab because you can i can actually I'm, I'm curious at the beginning reading reading this story again but imagining myself from the perspective of the of the staff at the nursing home where this uh, orson and this uh, his father forrest come in trying to you know be friends with this 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 director who they know is the bad guy having the ghoul inside him. So I thought it was very well done. And I think, I, again, I just think that uh, I know that maybe comic books becoming movies are, 
there's so many of any of that, so much of that is happening. Maybe it's uh, the economy is going down and they're saying there's going to be less of that. But I personally, I, I really hope that, I think this is a great idea for a horror, mo- horror movie. Yeah, and, and that brings me to my next thing that I want to talk about, which is the art by Frank Avia. So I think that, you know, he, he I don't, I'm not always the biggest fan when he does like superhero stuff. I think his style, his aesthetic does suit horror perfectly. Um, because in a way, there's sort of a, like a throwback quality to his style. You know, it very much reminds me of those classic universal horror monster movies, you know, like uh, Frankenstein or the werewolf or, or you know, Dracula, those, those kind of things. Um, because his style isn't necessarily simple, but there is a, there's a cleanliness to it. Like he really focuses on character. Um, you know, not to say that there's not background work of, you know, the, the actual nursing home or the, um, the viewing room uh, or the ambulance or, or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, there's always plenty of that P- police station ashes where the uh, tin is picked up at the end. But what always stands out, what's always in the foreground is his character work and his uh, especially his facial expressions. He just does such a fantastic job um, of not only choosing uh, a really interesting way to frame people's faces and get the most out of their reactions, um, but also, you know, he moves the camera around, does different angles, but he zooms in and out a lot for reaction. You know, like the moment when Orson is looking at the file that came from Director Skin's uh, safe, you know, and he's looking at it and all of a sudden his eye goes wide. It's, he's we zoomed in on just one eye. He's like, oh, my God, Dad. You know, and you just see that eye so huge. Uh, or the, the previous page to that where you can see the concern in Gina's face. And it's not only angle uh, that he's choosing, camera angle, if you will, or, or depth of field, how close or far away he is from the face, but also the, the way he plays light across the face. And this particular panel where uh, Gina's trying to convince Orson to go in and talk to the police, there's light falling across her, her eyes that's a reflection from the rearview mirror from the light of the police station. And it's, again, it's just, it's beautifully done. It does. Now that's not something that needs to be there. Like he could have done her face, you know, all one shade and it would have been just fine. And probably nobody would have given it. Most people wouldn't have given it a second thought, but he does that. He plays with that light and shadow and it just adds even more depth to what he's doing and highlights, you know, uh, the emotion in her face by doing that. And so he's a, he's a brilliant artist. Um, you know, I, I hate, I, I never want to pigeonhole artists. I want them to be able to draw whatever they want to draw. Uh, so I would never go so far as to say Frank Avia should only draw horror, but man, I, I personally love him and love his art the most when he does stories like this, because when you talk about horror, there's so many different sub genres, right? You just think of horror as one big thing, but it can be body horror where people are, you know, disfigured and all that kind of stuff. It can be bloody and gory and, uh, you know, kind of slasher film like, or it can be uh, like this with monsters and tension, or it can be, you know, purely suspense where everything that happens in the horror uh, elements and the, the monsters or whatever are all off panel. There's so many different ways that you can do it. And uh, Frank Avi is good at all of it and uh, just moody art. And uh, I love the color work that he does uh, because you could really see like Rocky was saying, uh, this would make a great movie or TV show. Um, but I, it's almost like 
I, I would almost want to do, if you do it as a movie, do it kind of like Ed Wood, that Johnny Depp movie, where even though it was a modern movie, it was in black and white. Uh, yeah. Or if you did a TV show, you know, do it almost like in sepia tones. Because it does, even though it's set in, you know, modern times, obviously we, you, the flashback with the movie was set in World War One, it does feel like a very a sort of old timey story, even though it's, you know, modern day. So I really would want it to be, um, you know, v- very limited on, on the color palette. I think it would work so, so well. So uh, anyway, uh, that's it for this uh, episode. Uh, we will do uh, another episode that's going to drop the same day as this one. Everybody, as you're listening to this for clear five and six. So be sure you, if you want to hear about clear, go and tune into the other one. Uh, but yeah, this was fantastic. I do recommend it as a reminder. You can get these books from Comixology. If you have Amazon Prime, you can get them for free. Uh, the only limit, I think you can only get, if you have Amazon Prime, I think you can borrow 10 Comixology originals at a time, like 10 issues at a time. If you try to get more than that, you have to return one before you can get another one. Or you can do like I did, even though I have Prime, I subscribe to Comixology Unlimited. I think it's only $5.99 a month. Then you get access to up to 50 titles at a time. Um, and it's not just the Comixology originals, it's everything that's on Comixology which there's tons of stuff from Marvel and DC and image and a bunch of other. And now I, I understand the frustration with the comiXology app with it being folded completely into the Kindle reader at Amazon. And I know there's been a lot of changes at comiXology. What I will say is the, it has gotten better, but it is still kind of clunky. And I get that. I understand that. Um, but it's, it's, that's more an issue with new issues as they come out every week and trying to find the new stuff. If you're looking for older stuff, it's really not that hard. Or you just go on Amazon itself, amazon.com yeah. and just type comiXology clear or comiXology night of the ghoul. And you can find it and you click right. on the read for free button, read now. And yeah. it's not really that. that it is worth mentioning that it has gotten better because I, I still miss guided view. I, I really miss guided view. I loved guided view, but it's still, it's gotten substantially better over the last uh, six, six months. And, and apparently they're going to continue to improve. So fingers crossed within the next six months to a year come, uh, you know, it'll be back to where it used to be. Yeah. And it's too bad because it really was the best I don't want to say the only digital service, but the, by far the best one. And obviously, yeah. you know, once it got bought by Amazon, it has the most resources behind it as well. So um, anyway, that's going to do it. Any last thoughts or anything else you want to add about Night of the Ghoul Rocky? Uh, just to, if people want something different, because most of the time when you go to a comic shop, you don't, it's hard to find horror. This is a really good, if you're into horror comics and or you just like into horror movies, you want something different, uh, consider Night of the Ghoul reading it, uh, especially if you can, you know, ch- a cheap and easy subscription to uh, Comixology, pick it up. This is inevitably going to be a trade. And I, I, I think I'm going to be buying this. I hope this comes out in a hardcover at some point, because I think this is one where this, this is definitely the best horror comics I have ever read period and, and, and that's a high compliment I've been reading for four decades it's rare I've read a horror comic this good this is this I give this high praise yeah that reminds me uh, you saying that w- one more thing that I wanted to add as much as you know it does have that little bit of a cliche at the end where hey the ghoul's still alive so it leaves the door open for more stories to come which is great I'd love to read more Night of the Ghoul I'd love to uh, see more uh, of this universe, if you will, from uh, from Snyder and Frank Avila. What I will say is that this is a this is a very satisfying story. It feels, you know, even though there is that little hint of, hey, maybe there could be more to come. The ghoul's still around. It feels like a very complete story. Yeah. Uh, it's not because here's the thing, um, you know, a lot of horror B 
because it falls into that trope of, hey, we want to leave the door open for more. And sometimes it's not the the most satisfying when you get to the end. It feels incomplete. This doesn't feel incomplete at all. It feels like a very complete story. And despite the fact that the ghoul is probably still alive and around inside Forest, if Snyder and Francovilla don't ever come back to this, I'm still perfectly satisfied with these six issues. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Rocky? I I would agree with that. And just to be clear, uh, when we talk about the character work, the, the character arc of young Orson, of the fa- of his of his relationship with his father, there is a sense of completion to it. I mean, it ends with the father taken being taken away in an ambulance, but you think he's okay, and so yeah. there's still a sense of completion of the character arcs and the relationship with the mother and the wife, and so it's satisfying that way. And the, the sacrifice, heroic sacrifice of the uh, Legion of the Scarab. I mean, it, it feels satisfying, and uh, it's a horror, so. Y- 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 you don't want the ghoul to go away completely. Right? I mean, that's kind of the fun of a horror comic. So I think it works on all levels. Yeah, agreed 100%. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you're listening on the audio-only version, head over to YouTube, Comic Space Boom, exclamation, exclamation point is Rocky's channel. Be sure you subscribe, ring the notification bell, like this video, leave any comments or questions below. You guys know what to do. Uh, conversely, if you are checking us out on YouTube and you want to follow along with the comic source, especially as we're heading into San Diego Comic-Con this next week, uh, just be sure you follow us on social media. Go to uh, your wherever you get your podcast and do a search for the comic source and subscribe. So that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate you guys joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.